Gospel of Matthew, chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. And all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Father, we thank you for your precious word. God, we just pray that you would speak so clearly into the hearts of every person sitting in these pews. And Lord, we just trust that as we hear, you would refresh us in our adoration towards Jesus Christ. We honor you. We look to you by faith. And for those who are not in faith, may you bring them home. And pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. It's quite remarkable how modern depictions and tradition have influenced our understanding of this story concerning the birth of Christ. Specifically with the verses that we just read concerning these people called the wise men. And when we think of the wise men, there's an image that comes to our mind with this nativity scene of three king-looking type of people dragging a camel coming to a manger to see this baby Messiah. But the Bible does not give such details. We don't know if they're really kings. We know they're wise men. There definitely was not three. There could have been three, but we make an assumption that there were three because there were three gifts given. But there could have been three, 13, 30, or 300. And we know for sure that they definitely did not come to the manger because in this text later on, we are told that they come to a house where the child is and they worship him. And we don't know exactly what age Jesus was at that point, but we know for certain that he was not in a manger. Who were these wise men that came from the east? That's the only detail we are given in the Bible concerning these visitors. Where did they come from exactly? What was their nature of position. And as we scan throughout the Bible, there is one place that holds quite a significant amount of information concerning these magi or these wise men, and it's found in the book of Daniel. And if you read the book of Daniel, you get some kind of an understanding of who these wise men were and what they did. And in a simple way of understanding it, these wise men, these magi, were appointed individuals that were to provide guidance, divine guidance, to the king concerning matters. And they spent most of their time doing a lot of things. And one of those things was studying the stars concerning future times. And even as you read Daniel, you see them attempting to interpret dreams by tapping into the spiritual realm. But even if we have that kind of information from the book of Daniel, what do they have to do 
with a Jewish baby boy. Why are they traveling so far to worship this child? What kind of information did they get? Was it some revelation based on their studies? Was there a visitation from God himself? We're not too sure. But I would argue this, that there was a particular individual who had an influence upon the Magi in a way that I believe he would not even know himself of the weight of implications that would come through his faithfulness. And that person was Daniel. If you read carefully in the book of Daniel, you will find that he was, yes, amongst many other Jews, brought out of Israel because of judgment against the nation and their apostasy. And as they come, Daniel and his friends determined within themselves to remain faithful in a foreign land. And as they come, in chapter 2, we see that this king has a dream and none of these wise men can interpret the dream. But here comes Daniel, filled with the Holy Spirit, and he interprets. And if you read very carefully at the end of chapter 2 of the book of Daniel, it says that he was promoted to be the chief of the wise men. And he was to be the one that would lead the Magi. Disagree with me if you would like. But I believe because of Daniel's position, because of his authority and his integrity, these wise men wanted to hear what he had to say. And through his prophetic writings, and through his revelations given by God, those teachings were passed on from generation to generation up to this point in Matthew chapter 2 where a group of magi who heard of this Messiah to come, even from Daniel's time, have finally figured it out and are now led to this Messiah. And that's very significant because Daniel's influence had long-term effects. And we cannot be mistaken that this was some accidental thing that happened through Daniel's life. No, 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 no. Daniel, pay attention to this, positioned himself for God's purpose. The Jews esteem Daniel amongst many others, but they really esteem this figure because if you read carefully again, you will find no recorded fault in his character. You can look at different characters and see where they've made mistakes, but Daniel himself, there is no recorded mistake. Not that he was sinless, but he was blameless. And this young man Beginning in Daniel chapter 1, they believe that he was as young as 14, 15 years old. Young people, pay attention. He determined within himself to be serious about this thing called God. And he's not a thing, he's a person. To be serious about his faith. To develop disciplines in his younger years with his friends. To not fool around. And, and you, you don't think that he was pressured? You don't think there was temptations? He was pulled out of his country, most likely ripped away from his family, brought into a foreign land with foreign gods, placed in university to learn about these foreign gods, and to try to be pressured into adopting into their system. That's pressure. This young man determined, I'm not going to play games. I'd rather die than compromise. I'd rather die hot than live lukewarm. And he positions himself for God to use him as a vessel. And he does in Daniel 1.17. God begins to use these young men. 
And I would encourage you, young people, high school, college years, the disciplines that you develop now will have long-term effects. Whether you have them or not, they will have long-term effects. And there's something about your younger years now that has a testimony on its own because there's not much young people that want to live for Jesus these days. I have, uh, have you noticed? But when you come to a place in which you align yourself to live for Christ, not only will it have immediate implications, but long-term. Because in Daniel chapter 6, he is much older. And not only is he chief of the wise men, but he's also in a political position, a governor. And here he is as an older man in the workplace. And it says, because of his excellence... Darius wanted to promote him. And so we touched on the young people. Here now are the people that are a little bit older, working full time. We also have an opportunity to be an influence and to be a testimony. And guess what? It was not only because of Daniel's words. It was because of his character. He was a man of integrity. He was a man who was bold. He was a man who did his job very well, and that was a testimony on its own. In fact, when there was this group of people jealous of Daniel, they wanted to find some fault with him, but they could not. They could not put a finger and say, you know, he's a little bit hypocritical right here. He claims to serve this Yahweh, but look how he speaks about other people. Oh, he claims to serve this Yahweh, but look how lazy he is in his work. He's ineffective. No. He was altogether composed. A man who worked hard but did not neglect his time with God. And so what's, what's the point of all of this? It's that Daniel's life had major influence, even to the point of Jesus' day. And you and I have the very same opportunity in our lifetime. No matter what age you find yourself in, you do not know how your testimony can bring somebody to worship Jesus. And whether, like Daniel, you see the fruit immediately or you see it in eternity, it's still available. That is crucial. That is crucial. I want to share a quick illustration. I had a conversation with a young man who was telling me about a testimony concerning somebody that he witnessed to five years ago. This was just a few weeks ago. He said, five years ago, I witnessed to somebody. And this person contacted me through Facebook. And this group of individuals that witnessed, including him, We're talking to this one person. He opened his home for these Christians to come and to sit and to discuss. But he was very skeptical. He was very hesitant. This idea of giving everything for Jesus and grace alone. And so within a few short weeks, there was a cutoff of communication. And that person made no declaration of faith or anything of the sort. Five years later, this person finds the individual I was speaking to on Facebook, calls him. And he was in a crisis moment in his life. Panicking. And he said these few words that have ministered to my heart, and I hope it does to yours. He said, listen, when you came to my home and the others came to my home and you guys told me about this Jesus, I want to tell you, without exaggeration, that I have thought about our conversation every single day for the past five years. And he wasn't exaggerating because he began to recite the very conversation and the details of that night to the T. Even in your failed attempt to witness what may seem a failed attempt, you have no idea what's going to happen. 
And I want to present a very, very practical challenge this morning to every single person. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, here's a very, very practical challenge that I hope you would take seriously. Between now and the new year, would you find it in your heart to tell one person about Jesus? Just one person. I know that's very simple. I know this isn't deep stuff, but sometimes we can get so deep we drown. We have no idea how to be practical anymore. One person to tell about Jesus. Because this is what will happen. This room will say there's 200 people. By New Year, 200 people will hear about Jesus. Find it in your heart to have the faith to believe that I can tell somebody, and whether I see it now or even past my lifetime, God's word is powerful. And his testimony is true. And what better time than Christmas time? What better time than now? Ask the Lord for the wisdom. Find yourself coming into school. Find yourself coming into the family gathering and somebody that doesn't know the Lord. And ask the Lord to be able to just share about Christ. And he'll give you the words to say. He'll lead you into that direction for his glory. I want to make one final observation about this magi. In verse 3, it says, Now when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And I would, I would say, not just Jerusalem, I would say that all of hell was trembling at this point too. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. Now look at this. They told them, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. These scribes, these chief priests, had the exact location of where the Messiah was to be born. They had all the theology. They had all the insight. They had all of this instruction given to them over the years. And guess what they didn't have? A heart of worship. They had the exact place where to be. And who doesn't go? The ones that had all the information. And here are these magi with some idea of who and where this Messiah is to be, but not the full grasp of it. And they're coming because they want to seek him and they want to adore him. And those two types of people are the same types of people we find today. There are so many people that have all the commentaries. Oh, they go to all the conferences. They have all the sermons. Oh, they listen to sermons on the way to work, on the way out of between work, lunch. It's all there. But there's no heart that seeks him, that desires to know him. They're satisfied with just reading about him and finding new insights that they didn't know before. And if truth does not produce worship, if truth does not bring us to the place in which, like these magi, they travel the distance, they come to what? A baby. And they lay down gifts. Now they worship the Lord at a very specific time in his life, when he was a child. That's important. Why? Because a child can't give you anything in the immediate sense. He has nothing really to offer you. He's a child. But oh, what a beautiful picture of worship. That they came not to necessarily get something, but to give something. And to worship this baby for who he is. That's worship. Yes, the Lord is willing to give. In fact, he gave himself for us. But may we this season, I plead with you this season, May we not get so comfortable and casual with the knowledge that we have about Jesus that we forget to worship him. 
the simplicity of coming to him and just adoring him. And may truth never be something just for the sake of knowing, but may it translate into you having your affections and everything else stirred towards him. Herod comes and he says, where is he? Because I want to worship him too. I want to worship him. But did he really want to worship him? No, he wanted to kill him. Tell me where he is and I will, I'm going to get rid of him. Why was Herod threatened? Because this baby Jesus, king of the nations, was threatening his throne. When Jesus steps on the scene, you get off your throne. When you want to receive Christ, this is what it looks like. He sits on the throne of your heart and you get off of the throne. That is the gospel. All your will, all your affections, all that you are is at his kingship, at his rule, at his will. And Herod did not want that. Many people today are threatened by this gospel. Why? Because it demands everything. It demands everything. And probably you've seen this and you've read it. Wise men today still seek him. Because when you realize that he is, yes, a king, but he's a loving God, it doesn't matter what we have to give up because we get him in the end. I want to challenge you again with this. Find it in your heart like Daniel to share about the truths of who this God is. And you may or may not see the results. But you have no idea of where it can take somebody. May we not get familiar with this story to the point where we have lost our adoration and awe of who he is. And may we, if you do not know Jesus Christ in this place, realize that he is the king of all kings, Lord of all lords. And if you want him in your life, you have to give him the throne of your heart. And when he sits on the throne of your heart, you better believe that you have found life and life eternal. Let's pray together.